How are you? Back with you on Off The Hook Radio. It's DJ Voodoo Blaze. You know, electric powwow is going on tonight. That's right, a tribe called Red. Are you going to check them out? Give me a call. Let me know. Let's get into the latest from Nation to Nation. This is Sisters. Hello and welcome. I'm Jillian Raymond, the co-creator of Juicy Bits and a Coalition Snow ambassador. And I'm Jen Gorecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is about taking the conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and bringing them to you to explore alternative narratives that challenge the status quo about what it means to be a modern woman in the outdoors. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, friends, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Juicy Bits. This is Jen Gorecki, and I am over the top excited to bring, for the first time, six other human beings to a Juicy Bits episode. We've never done this. So it might go really well. It might get weird. No one knows what's going to happen, but we have six incredible human beings joining us today. And what brings everyone together is actually the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship. Now, for those of you who do not know what the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship is, it is um, a scholarship fund that was created in partnership between Coalition Snow and one of our ambassadors, Denali, who is on the episode today. And it is a way to um, support Indigenous people uh, getting into the backcountry, um, spending more time in the backcountry, honing their skills in the backcountry by uh, providing them with a pair of skis or snowboard from Co Coalition and $1,000 in cash to do what they see fit to support their progression in the sport. So everyone in a moment is going to go around and do introductions and you'll know who's on the call, but we have a few people who received the scholarship. We have some people who were part of the selection committee um, and everybody in this episode um, is really, I would say, sort of redefining what backcountry skiing and snowboarding is and who does it and why we do it. Um, and there's so many other things and we're going to get into all of that tonight, but we really should, before we get into in introductions, we should give the backstory on really how the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship started because it's super true to form for me. Denali and I had been talking about doing some different things together. In November of 2020, I emailed Denali and said, hey, let's launch this scholarship. Let's get a bunch of money. Let's raise a bunch of money. Let's do this thing. And uh, by the way, I want to make it go live on Thanksgiving day because I mean, fuck Thanksgiving. Really, I was just like one of the little ways that I have of like poking at, you know, colonizer genocide, the celebration of all of that. So 
I was like, let's launch it on Thanksgiving as this way of like, let's create a new tradition and, and coalition can create a new tradition around this day where we're really um, considering how we all exist in community and partnership with the land and with what, what one another and just sort of redefine what that day looks like. So I emailed Denali and surprisingly or unsurprisingly, I don't know, they said yes. And then within two days, it was up on the website and we did it. And um, in less than a year, we had, um, you know, well, not me, but a few people on this call had had selected the first cohort. So Denali, what am I missing from that origin story of the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship? Yeah, you know, I was living in Chogyang lands in Dillingham at that point. And I think you had gotten a hold of me to be on another event for Coalition Snow. And I, out of the blue, I think after that call had gotten a hold of you and was like, hey, Jen, can I, can I like ski with you guys? <laughs> and, and you said yes, pretty surprisingly to me, because like, I don't have an extensive background in, in backcountry skiing or, you know, I, I started skiing when I was six, but because my relationship to it has been so disjointed i was really surprised that you were like hell yeah come on board with us and then you know there was this desire to see more more indigenous folks like out on the ski slopes i had already i think at this point ellen and i weren't connected ellen's going to be introducing themselves later on in the call but i i knew of like you know connor ryan and michaela oliver who were skiing in the in the backcountry but other than that like my my crew of other uh backcountry skiers that were also like indigenous folks was was very limited and so there was this desire to see more folks get out out there and yeah yeah, you wanted to, we wanted to make this fund. And it was amazing because like within that day and a half, two days, you already had a website up and uh, had all the the supporting factors. And it's really funny now, you know, looking back on it, we realized we didn't really have like, you know, that selection process or other supportive uh, documents that like a regular fund or scholarship would have because Jen was just like, yeah, let's fucking do it. <laughs> And so we just launched it. And I think now we're at this point where it's here. It's a real thing. Um, you know, we were out filming a, a promo the other day and I looked at Hannah, who you'll also meet um, here in a little bit. And I said, oh, my God, like this is real. We're we're actually doing it right now. And so there's like this level of surrealism that I think has been, for me at least, been accompanying this entire journey for the last two years. Uh, <laughs> whereas now it's like, oh, it's happening. The industry is changing. It is changing like dramatically and pretty damn fast. And let's keep this momentum going. So, yeah, exactly. And we and and yeah, there's lots of pieces, lots of things to still figure <laughs> out, but uh, we made it happen. And I'm really grateful that you said yes because. Not everyone says yes to me. In a perfect world, everyone would say yes to me when I want them to say yes, but they don't always do that. And that is not fun for me, but you said yes and look where we are today. Um, how about we meet some of the people who received the scholarship this year? So we do have um, Catherine and Nahani and Geneva here. Um, Catherine, do you want to introduce yourself? We'll start with you. 
Bosho, uh, Catherine Yeager, Neshkadas. Hi, my name's Catherine Yeager, and I am one of the recipients this year. Um, man, I just came across, I, th- I think someone sent me this via Instagram. Um, one of the women, uh, people of color I worked with last year to organize cross-country skiing clinics for people of color. And they emailed it to me and they're like, I don't think you've ever heard of this, but you should totally like look at it. And um, I grew up in what's now called Bend and I had gone on backcountry skis maybe three, four times total in my life. But in Bend, everyone kind of does it. And I just thought I wasn't good enough. I didn't have access to it. Um, and I was like, I don't think I should apply. Like I've never really gone. I've gone like three times total. Um, and I think there was just a community of people um, here that like supported me in applying for it. And it was, it was so cool. Um, I think what stood out to me the most, it was my first time I just applied for a Fulbright and not gotten it. And I've applied for grants and things like that. And I got to go back and I was reading the questions and I was talking to friends and I wrote and they're like, dude, you're writing to an audience of indigenous people. Like you don't need to filter yourself. Um, Cause when I had originally gone on a Fulbright, like a few years back or 10 years ago, I had to take off that I was part of like the, the, the GSA at my college. They're like, we're not sure if they're okay with like gay people. So can you take that off? And so it was so, it was so cathartic to write something and be your authentic self and not fear. And I think that's what was so special. Just even, I didn't care if I necessarily got it. It was just to be able to apply for something and to be able to not try to have to hide any part of myself or to cater to an audience um, and worry what people were going to think or say. Um, so that, that was kind of my experience. And then I was super excited to wake up to that email at like five in the morning. Um, and to, I mean, I followed a lot of you guys on Instagram and then to like all of a sudden be like, wow, like starting to go out and backcountry ski and hopefully I'll go out with Geneva next weekend, maybe. Um, so that's my experience. What about, I guess I'll pass it to Geneva since I always mention your name. Always putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, Bojo, Geneva, and Dishikaz. Um, I'm an enrolled member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And uh, I'm just super happy to be a part of this community. Something that I have noticed in these Native communities that I've been finding myself to be more a part of, which has been awesome, is that we are really, really good at making connections. I think that's just like our superpower. Um, And I've been really trying to lean into that. And I think that um, it's really cool. Um, And I think this scholarship in particular, that's what it has been about for me. Um, it's interesting because I had an, I have a very similar but different reasoning of like why I applied for it and why I was scared to apply for it. Um, I have a lot of experience in the backcountry. I was lucky enough and privileged enough to um, learn from my dad, who has been in the ski industry for a long time um, and is also a small Asian man, so I can fit into all of his gear. So I got, got away with that um, at a young age. And so initially I was like, well, I don't know if I deserve this. Like I have gear. I, you know, I have my Abby one, like why, why should, why should I take that away from someone else? Um, And I had some awesome friends in my community kind of push me to do it because they said, well, think about what you could do um, if you got your Abby two, think about how you could maybe instead of using this as a learning opportunity, as a leading opportunity. Um, And so that was kind of my, thought going into it is, yeah, I'll get my Abby too. I'll get more confidence and 
leadership in the back country so that I can take other Native people, other people, other women of color into the back country and make this a safe space. I think that's like one of my favorite things to do um, is to take people into the back country for their first time. That's kind of a thing I'm known for here. I like to take a lot of people's uh, B cards, if you will. Um, so I, yeah, I'm super happy that I applied for it, not only because I got um, this experience, but because I got to meet some really cool people and it reconnected me with Catherine and we have been trying to connect for so long. Um, it's pretty funny that we're from the same tribe, which is originally from the Great Lakes, our reservations in Oklahoma, and we both grew up in what is now Central Oregon and we never knew each other until now. Um, and it's something super healing to come together with people that you were supposed to be with. Um, and so I think that's a huge part of this scholarship as well, is just coming together with people that I'm supposed to be with um, and meeting new people because of it. And I'll just hop on over to Nahani. Tanse Abawa Stitch. My name is Nahani McKay. I'm one of the recipients of the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship. I'm here on Treaty 7 territory here in Banff, Alberta, which is more namely the Canadian Rockies. What this scholarship, I kind of had the same um, vibe to Geneva about applying for this scholarship because I am very privileged. Um, my dad's in ACE, one of the few Indigenous ACMG guides in Canada, along with Barry Blanchard. I'm not sure if there's anyone else. If there is, please hit me up. I would love to ski with you. Um, and yeah, so I found the Coalition Scholarship via Instagram from Indra, who runs Inclusivity on the West Coast here um, in Vancouver. And I was like, whoa. And then I didn't know what Coalition was because you guys are a U.S. brand and I'm up here northern. And I like looked at your Instagram. I'm like, oh, like naked ladies and her <laughs> people and like, like a cake that says men step up. I'm down. Like, sure. Like I never heard of a ski brand that like sells Apres Delight, which look it up. Like <laughs> I'm not going to say it here on this podcast, but I was like, yeah, like feel good, ski good, you know? Um, and applying for the scholarship, I know in like the, one of the application boxes, it was just like, what would the scholarship mean to you? And I was like, that I could give my dad ski gear from the nineties back getting the scholarship. I was already signed up for my AST too. And getting your ops one is like something that you would do to work in the snow industry. And it is quite a hefty, um, ticket to get, like it's a, it's quite a bill. <laughs> So I was pretty stoked on getting the Indigenous Backcountry Scholarship because I want to work more in the snow industry. And like this past winter, the Bow Valley did their first women's and non-binary AST1, which I coordinated with my stepmom, Lisa. And I want to do more of that through the scholarship. And I'll pass it on to Ellen. Yeah. Hi, my name is Ellen Bradley. I go by she, her pronouns, and I am Clinket, which is a tribe of Southeast Alaska. Um, I grew up in the Salish Sea area, so about Everett, Washington, and have skied since I was a little kid, but only started backcountry skiing during the winter of 2019-2020. So I'm pretty new to backcountry skiing as well, um, and I've been pretty lucky to have in my first full season 
somehow Creator must have wanted it, gotten connected with this incredible, amazing group of Indigenous skiers that include Connor Ryan and Denali Hogston and Cal Smith and all a ton of amazing other people. Um, and I connected with Denali a little over a year ago. It was actually through a Coalition Snow Backcountry Beta series. Um, I'd been following Denali for a while, but we had never really chatted. And Denali and Makili Oliver were hosting a series, and I sat in and listened and just put in my two cents in the chats, encouraging them on, and got a message from Denali back saying, dude, you should have been participating in this the whole time, and you should have used your voice, and and Makili reaching out too. And um, it just so happened at the time that I had connected with Connor Ryan, who they were both really good friends with. And um, Connor ended up inviting me out on a road trip. And so I ended up just flying out to Montana and meeting meeting McKaylee, meeting Cal, and meeting Denali for the first time in person um, in the middle of COVID, which was probably a little crazy, but the whole time it just felt like it was meant to be. And ever since, we've just been conspiring on what are the ways that we disrupt this terribly settler, colonial, capitalistic industry and how can we as Indigenous women and Indigenous non-binary people and Indigenous men just do our parts to use the skill sets that we have to change the world and to re-Indigenize this world, rematriate the land, um, and be better relatives to each other and to the land. Um, and so I was incredibly excited when Denali told me about the scholarship and asked me if I wanted to participate, and I gladly accepted to be on the selection committee. Um, and it was an incredibly emotional process to go through the different applications. Um, and I think absolutely everyone that applied deserved to get the scholarship. And I think that's why I think this scholarship is important is that everyone that applied deserved it. Um, but we ended up with an incredible cohort. So I'm incredibly excited. I'm stoked to be involved and the conversations that we've had so far, just with this group, the very few zoom meetings we've had, um, uh, I leave all of them feeling incredibly energized and feeling like I'm in community, even though none of us, well, except for Denali and Hannah, really are around each other that often. Um, and so this is just such an awesome community to exist in. And I'll hand it off to Hannah to introduce yourself. Oh, man, you guys are making me feel all fuzzy just listening to your descriptions. Uh, my name is Hannah Corral. My father, um, his ancestry is Ita from the Philippines. Um, and I live on Lower Tanadene land in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, what to say? I started skiing in 1996. Uh, backcountry skiing on old school downhill skis that my dad had. Nahani, I totally get you. You're like, why don't these turn? Um, and I got involved in this scholarship because one day I was, what was I doing? I was checking my phone and Denali was like, Hey, what are you doing today? Do you want to be on a selection committee? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Denali, I said, well, of what? And, uh, you know, they described to me what was going on, which was exciting because, um, we had also had a conversation earlier in that year about uh we went for a bike ride and had ice cream and talked about um just kind of got into it about wanting 
just what, what mattered to us. And one of our first conversations in that had to do with being in the backcountry and being outside and connection to land and connection to community. And we both were like, I don't know, are we allowed to drop F-bombs in this podcast? Because I sure would like to. <laughs> okay, sweet. We were both were like, fuck this cis white dude world blah 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 what can we do and we're like oh i have ideas and they were like i have ideas so uh you know months later boom there we were um and i had this this, it was just such a great uh not even happenstance but um just just a good fold into this project and uh, i also run a very very small time uh ski touring business in alaska and i have um you know a lot of vested interest in changing the narrative of this billion dollar industry of tourism and and extraction mentality that comes with um, the ski industry and just being outside. And so, yeah, I've just, when I got to be a part of the selection community, I definitely had some wet t-shirts next to me just with tears and snot um, because it was all really heartfelt. And, you know, I've, since 1996, I have been like, in my mind, like the only brown person, non-binary person that was even before they had that word, uh, skiing. And now I look at all of you and I'm just like, when are we going to go rip it? Let's make some, let's change some shit. Let's do it. And so it's been really awesome to get to know all of you. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about that. That's that. Well, and I definitely, uh, we, we're going to get into the selection process a little bit more. But before we get into that, Denali, you never gave, we never did a proper intro for you. So I feel like that should happen right now. Hi, everybody. My name is Denali. My introduction can be very long at times, but I'll shorten it for this. I am currently calling in from Lower Tanana Diné lands in Fairbanks, Alaska, where I learned to ski on a little mountain called Moose Mountain. And I am Supiak, Yupik, and Degatan Diné, or Athabascan. And that's all I'm going to say right now. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all that you need to say. I mean, because everyone clearly knows who you are. And there's massive crushes that have been realized through this process. So we're happy that you're here. Um, let's, let's get back to this selection process. So um, Ellen and Hannah, you, you both talked about what an emotional process it, it was. And I'm curious if, if the two of you and, and Denali as well, if, if you feel comfortable kind of talking about you know, what the selection process looked like, what, what were you specifically looking for and what, um, what I think made this really, I mean, you've already kind of talked, talked to it, but like, what were the specific things that, that, that were so emotional and so heartfelt about the, the process of, um, not just selecting the five people, but also reading through all the submissions. Yeah, Yeah, I can, I can speak on that a little bit too. Um, When we started this process, um, there's this scholarship to the coalition scholarship, but I was also helping Connor Ryan with the Icon Pass Natives Outdoors scholarship. Um, And so I came into both of these application committees feeling so emotional because I, at this, at the end of it had read over, call it 200 applications from different indigenous people. Um, applying 
And so the thing that made it the most emotional to me was this reminder that it, of the barriers associated with skiing, associated with backcountry skiing and associated with all of these activities occurring on stolen land and occurring within this illegal occupation that is the United States of America. Um, And so reading over so many people like me that I didn't think existed and only had just had a taste of of that existence through meeting Denali, Connor, McKaylee, and Cal, um, and those being the first first, uh, Indigenous skiers I had ever skied with other than my dad and my brother. that's what made the process the most emotional to me is that skiing for me was how I most connected with my indigeneity being um, removed from my traditional homelands. Um, it's how I most connected with the place that I live, developing my relationships here and putting my time to the relatives and to the land that I now live on. And knowing that that is only something that I could do because I was really fortunate that skiing was something my family wanted to do and it was like the only activity that we did as a family so we put a lot of time and effort into that and we had the privilege to do it um and the only reason I got pulled into the backcountry was because I was in college and I lived with a woman who's from Colorado whose family is really wealthy and so they took me backcountry skiing one time and I fell in love with it then and 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 all the sacrifices it took to get all of my own first gear for backcountry skiing which was all secondhand And to know that there were 200 other people like that who either wanted to start skiing or already were skiing or wanted to venture into backcountry or wanted to become guides. And that to all of us, while many of us could have made it happen without a scholarship like this, the fact that so many of us need something like this or deserve something like this, or frankly, all of us should have access no matter what our backgrounds are because this is stolen land and we're all indigenous. And so we're the First Nations, hello. Um, uh, that's what made it most emotional for me. I can't tell. Everyone is pointing at, everyone is pointing at Denali. Right? So case, it's so that just so that everybody knows what's going on, we are all on video. You don't get to see that, but we get to see it. You should see the chat that's happening. Like you think Zoom <laughs> chats are good? Zoom chats have nothing on the chat that's happening right here. And we all see each other. We have like our own little like Brady Bunch going on here. And you, you heard that pot, like everyone is, I think, pointing at Denali, like, oh, yeah, you're up. And so that's what you're, um, that's what none of you are seeing, but we're all kind of cackling over here about the process. The chat so- is also saying Apre Delight, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and for, for everybody, I didn't include this in my introduction, but I also run a podcast. And so I'm used to being in the listening seat, which means that you have to try and get me to talk sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Emotional. <laughs> you know, I guess first and foremost, when we Jen Jen got a hold of me and was like, "Hey, you you really need a selection committee. Like, hurry up and and form it." <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can I can be a little delayed on my responses, and so I got a hold of people like pretty last minute. Um, and and yet I think it was like the perfect crew too that that came together in order to uh, be on the selection committee. There's also uh, my friend. Maria and my friend Sarah, who are both Alaska Native, and then Michaeli Oliver as well, who's um, Blackfeet. And it it was one really bonding for us to get to like see one another <laughs> and be on the selection committee and realize, okay, 
we all we all want to see other people be in this in this realm and and have this access that uh that Ellen was just speaking to I think what was what was difficult for me was that there was so many Alaskans that were in the actual um that had applied and so I had to remove myself from like half of the applicants and be like, all right, I either know most of these folks and also there's like, you know, there could be like potential bias. And so trying to figure out how to make a, a selection committee that can assess, you know, Turtle Island was was huge. And then we had to figure out, well, how are we are we going to be selecting via tribe or by like region? We also know that we are living in the diaspora right now. Like I am a, I'm a product of a diasporic story <laughs> being, you know, living not in my traditional homelands. And there's a lot of folks that are like that. Like, um, you know, Geneva and Catherine are, are prime examples um, of the diaspora that we're living in. So trying to figure out how do we make sure that we have like, like breadth and depth to the selection process um, was, I guess, like one aspect of it that I definitely felt responsible for. And then when reading the, when reading the applications, I think what really shined through and Catherine, I remember, I remember when we read your application and, you know, what, what you just said about needing to and wanting to and realizing that you could speak your truth and your indigeneity and not have to censor yourself like that came through and that came through so much in your application and uh i hope that you know whatever people are applying for especially indigenous people that like we have the chance to do that um yeah regardless of it, whether it's for a backcountry or or if it's for the fulbright and the other aspect of it was realizing that this is, you know, it is a backcountry scholarship. Um, it does help to have some sort of uh, exposure to skiing in the past. And so the other thing that we had to really think about was, are we going to oh, like award people that are new to skiing or are we going to award people that have some experience and we ended up actually going with people that had a little bit more experience in the back or like in ski with skiing because we realized that we wanted to build a cohort that could bring more people in, you know, and Geneva, I think you're like you're both you and Nahani are, are prime examples of that too. Like you've had, you've had the privilege to be in the industry and, and be exposed in the past. And yet at the same time, like there are still uh, barriers and so how do we come together, be able to see one another that we're not doing this alone? And then we have the opportunity to, to build, um, to, to, I guess, to build on this fund and to build through the years. It's not just like a one and done deal. And I think that's the power of having a partner like Coalition Snow and like you, Jen, who's like, I believe in this. I want to invest in it continuously. And we're not just going to do it and like... We're not just going to do it half-assed. <laughs> we're going to do it all the way and we're going to make sure that like we continue. And I think the beauty of coming together in spaces like Juicy Bits or the Backcountry Beta Series and the the few times that we've gotten together was to see like, and even in our email chains, like there is investment in us 
continuing and bringing more people into this space. And I think that that's really the beauty of like why everybody is is here right now. So yeah, how's your Dustin? I also just get feels like every time. <laughs> Hannah? <laughs> it was really emotional because, you know, like, well, what Denali was saying um, with Nahani's story and Catherine's and Geneva's, all these, we had uh, so many applicants and I was just, I was, I was in literal shock when I was sent um, the spreadsheet of all the applicants. It was just like all the way down and I, you know, and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and it's on a, it's on a spreadsheet. So you just get these little tiny boxes of like, you know, kind of a summary and, you know, and I'm, because it came on so late, I was just like feverishly reading through them all. And they all just evoked like a hunger for, for connection um, with, you know, a greater, with a greater community. Like, like, I feel like every story was like saying, I am here. I don't know if there's anyone else out there. Can you hear me? I need some skis. Let's meet up. And um, you know, it, it was, it was a really just, just like kind of zooming out of the, out of the spreadsheet. I just saw over Turtle Island, like just all these people who were hiding or not hiding, but like were in the shadows behind all these barriers. And to me, that was just like, so, so powerful, you know, um, and to be able to have this opportunity to, break those and make connections for everybody. Um, it really, you know, sort of bigger picture, it made this, uh, this scholarship mean so much more than just having access to gear and having access to avalanche classes and having access to just being able to go outside. Suddenly it became kind of this like slingshot mode around the moon to get to other more important things to talk about, such as you know, land management, food sovereignty, uh, you know, decolonization, all the things. It was just, you know, suddenly just opened a floodgate of voices that have been waiting that, you know, to be heard. And so I was just like, hell yeah, let's give everybody skis and avalanche classes. Oh shit, we don't have, we, all, we can only pick five people. Let's just calm down for a second, you know? And so like, it was, it was overwhelming. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, as Denali was saying too, we, we decided in our process to, um, to pick people who already had a little bit more experience so that they could essentially be able to carry this message further and farther than we could ever in a short little description. Um, on the, on the Instagram saying like, here's some skis, you know? So it, it really became so much bigger, uh, so fast in such a short period of time, but it's been building forever, right? Like this is our, we're, we are eating right now, the pressure cooker meal that we have been throwing stuff in forever. So yeah, I was just, I was totally overwhelmed and equally so psyched. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think any of us actually knew what to expect with this, right? Like I remember, so I, I wasn't a part of the selection committee. Like as Denali said, I was the one who was like, Denali, get a selection committee. Here's our deadline. Let's, let's do this. But I didn't, 
I read through the, I read through everything, but I didn't have anything. I didn't have any say in the, in who was, who was selected. But when we first put the um, application out, I was nervous. I was like, what if people don't apply? What if we don't like, are people going to find out about this? Is this going to resonate with people? And um, clearly I was foolish because there's this huge demand and, and not just, I would say like, correct me if I'm wrong, not this demand necessarily for like gear or um, for, or the education, but like a demand for, for community and a demand to connect with one another and sort of Hannah, what, what you were saying, like not feeling like you're the only person who's doing this thing. And that, um, that connection uh, I think is probably like how this, how this really moved through community and, and people were, um, you know, were motivated to apply. And I, I think um, it's worth noting that, you know, what's coming up in our chat right now is there's all these comments about land back. And this scholarship isn't just about getting people out skiing. There's these bigger issues. And um, I'm just curious if you all want to talk a little bit about land back and a little bit about how your role specifically as people who identify as backcountry skiers and snowboarders, like how that relates. Cause it's, they're not separate. They're fully connected. And, um, Catherine, I see that you would like to say something there. Yeah, I I have to be careful with what I say, obviously, because my job is very forward facing. Um, I'm in education and um, part of how I took this job and I'm helping with the implementation of tribal history, shared history and at large district um, in Oregon, which is so cool. And part of how I took this job is I had a native student and I was teaching um, a curriculum that I thought was good. And they were like, no, it's not. Like then I met with this native parent who's just this like badass woman. Um, and she's like, dude, and like taught me a lot of things that I didn't realize and had to unpack. And I remember I was so excited to try this new job. It's what drove me to this new job to leave the classroom for the first time. And I remember I was like, okay, I need to apply for the scholarship. Like I really want to do this. And I was going over a training with someone. I can't say too many details. And basically a comment came out and with my other friend who's native, um, the one, you know, um, Geneva. And the, basically the person said, you're never getting your land back anyway. So why are we talking about this? And I mean, you've met the other woman, this, this, uh, I don't want to say her name cause I didn't get her permission. We left immediately and went to a coffee shop and we were like, that's not okay. Like I'm not okay. And we took the rest of the day off and I called in sick the next day and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Like I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm going to spend the whole day. I took a mental health day. I guess this is going to be on. Like I took a mental health day, which we're allowed to take. And I wrote for the scholarship. And I think that for me was like the inspiration is like, okay, so I got told this and like how my sign falls down. Like how, how can I take that negative energy that I felt and move forward. And I think for me, that's what land back is, is like so many times I'm told it's not happening. Like that's the past, get over it. And so part of my job, and I was so grateful for Geneva coming in and helping, and she got to present to these teachers I was presenting to today. Is let's bring native people to the present. And part of bringing native people to the present is talking about land back. Um, again, in the environment I'm in, I have to be careful in how I talk about it, but I think, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear your guys' perspective on that. But it's just really bringing Native people to the present and that land back is happening and it will continue to happen. 
Um, I love that because I feel like the first time that we all had our little video chat together, it was um, I was like, I would like land acknowledgments, and you guys are like, actually, it's land back, and I was like, that makes sense. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I thought about that, and I think the language is so different from U.S. and Canada. Like, we're not really, it's not PC to say tribes. Um, we call them, we call it bands. I don't, I can't tell you why. But through my artwork as well as my skiing, I'm trying to learn the original mountain names of the Canadian Rockies up here because it's all named after settlers who came here. And I'm, I was actually asked to do a project about Mary Schaefer, who's one of the early explorers of, um, hand quotes, air quotes, um, early explorers of the Canadian Rockies. And I needed a little more information about her before I said yes. And she was there. She's most the reason of like what she named everything in Jasper. It felt like she named all the mountains after her friends or like what she thought she, and I want to stop seeing these early explorers. And I'm sure you all have them in the U S as well as like pioneers because they're colonizers and we should give our land back to the indigenous people of where I am with the Canadian Rockies or wherever, where everyone is like give back turtle Island. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of the encompassing, what I love about land back is that it can like encompass so much like land back could be, you know, it could be ecology. It could be like literally giving land back and giving life back to land. Um, it could be giving language back to land, like what Nahani was talking about um, and finding the original names of mountains and saying those instead. Um, it can be giving culture back and reclaiming those um, as the native peoples that are the original stewards on this land. Um, and for me, like what really resonates with me is that like indigenous joy is such a radical movement. Like we, anytime we are finding, we are making space on the land and we are finding joy on the land, that that is land backed to me. That is how we can reclaim that space because we are finding joy when so many colonizers have tried so hard to take that away from us. And so anytime that we have our indigenous joy that is land back I say yes a thousand times yes to everything that has already been said i agree with absolutely everything and the only thing i really have to add is land back also is literally land back like literally giving back decision making like authority to tribes to first nations to indigenous peoples like literally no longer the the ultimate goal is no longer this concept of land ownership because no indigenous people agree with land ownership. We do not own the land, the land owns us. But as much as it is it all of these things that have already been mentioned are like how we continue to move towards land back, but like the ultimate goal is land back. Um, and I think all of these actions and all of these things that we're doing is how we are getting to that. And that's already happening. Like you can see that in different places and the Redwoods, there was just a ton of land that was given back to tribes. In Washington, there was just a ton of land that was given back to tribes. And this is happening both from like industry levels, from individuals, and sometimes from government inst institutions. But ultimately, land back is land back. And I think every Indigenous person that is, is working towards that is doing it just by existing. 
and that the rest is is what we need help from allies from is to literally give us our land back yeah and i know a lot of people will be like well how does that happen you know like i i'm very much a big picture person as well a lot of people that know me know that uh but if you get down to the details in it and think about how does that happen you know we are building off of and trying to decolonize from the doctrine of discovery and from manifest destiny which were very much like this idea around western expansion like let's keep moving let's keep like cultivating you know the land in this certain way putting up fences putting in agriculture well right now those systems aren't working and and we realize like the everything the big elephant in the room always is climate change and the fact is is like we have to protect our winters and and we have to pr protect our lands and we're not going to be able to do that unless we have like true indigenous stewardship which pulls on traditional ecological knowledge and the ways that um, we we relate to land that is not extractive. And so, you know, part of what the Biden administration is doing right now. So I like I work in storytelling and in policy and and then in the outdoor industry. And so like the bridge that I see between all of those, you know, is 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 land. And right now we have the opportunity under something like Biden's 30 by 30 initiative, 30 percent of water, 30 percent of land um, conserved, uh, which we could go down a whole rabbit hole about conservation, but conserved by 2030. Um, and in within that, you know, we can look at something like and, and a lot of tribes are doing this right now, is what does co-management look like between somebody like the Borough of Land Management um, that owns a lot of land across the states and then figure out how do we make these, uh, these policies that ensure that Indigenous people can implement our traditional ecological knowledge when it comes to forestry, um, you know, burning, burning of wildfires or... Um, yeah, I, I could go down a whole rabbit hole, but <laughs> that that is, you know, some of the um, implementation of land back that is happening right now that can allow us to tell the stories, you know, like we have to be able to tell stories because that's what people connect to. And so how do we do that? We can go get on our skis and say, hey, this is BLM land that I'm skiing on right now. And maybe it it just had like a fire that swept through and burned the entire region. What would it look like if you had like indigenous fire burning practices on it that wouldn't take away everything, um, but would allow for the cultivation of like our foods and our and access to like subsistence hunting and harvesting. So it's all it's all connected. And that's like that's land back. And that's kind of like how I see this work in indigenous backcountry skiing and this indigenous backcountry fund reconnecting us um, to one another and to our land. Well, and land back is a part of decolonization. I know that Hannah wants to talk about that a little bit. You can totally go into the rabbit hole. And I think that one of, I think that's a good thing. We have to do it. Um, but to bring it back into the scholarship, like one thing that I know some of us have talked to about is this fund in the future, you know, kind of not even that long, far big picture too, is to, um, you know, be able to 
give opportunities to indigenous folks to become leaders in in uh, these conversations with allies and people who like literally have no idea what land back is, who are skiing all over the place and just hopping on the bus and putting the onesie on woo, and taking a picture. Like there's so much more to that. And so who better than to become like ambassadors and, you know, messengers of like what the hell's going on in truth and, and how to make the world better. I mean, 2030 is like uh, pretty damn close. So um, we kind of have to have everybody on board at this point. Um, so I, I think that, you know, uh, conversations that some of us have had is like how how this scholarship can just be one, just another um, form of, of elevating this entire interconnected story um, for Indigenous people. Because, I mean, let's face it, the ski industry is like how many billions of dollars and how many eyes are staring at it all day long and who's in climate in a in climate crisis like scrambling to the cold parts of the world to you know get on the hill like this is this is a this is a total you know appetizer for bigger conversation and i think that this scholarship um if people pay attention and want to donate and help uh this cause i mean decolonization is for everybody uh, and in so many ways, and like that's a rabbit hole that we could go down all day long, and uh, maybe we should. But let's let's get our indigenous people, um, you know, outfitted and becoming leaders in this in this industry to shift the conversation. Boom! That's all I got for right now. I mean, that was exceptional. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I've been taking notes. Okay. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, a couple of you have said this, and also I want to give a shout out um, to Connor Ryan and Spirit of the Peaks because he talks about this in in the film as well. If y'all haven't seen that, make sure you go watch it. I will put it in the show notes. You can click on it and go watch it. But is this idea of um, belonging and like feeling like you deserve to be in the backcountry and you deserve to be a skier? And I think that that's a big, I mean, that's a big part of this conversation too. And I was hoping that some of you could speak to that, either um, why you have felt like you don't belong or why you do belong, or just sort of this idea of like, how do we shift this? Like Hannah, what you were saying, like, how do we shift this conversation to where belonging isn't questionable? It just is for people. Geneva, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think that something that I've like recently <laughs> realized, I, so Central Oregon, I live in Bend. Um, it's like kind of a freak town. Like we have an insane amount of like Olympic athletes here and just everyone is so athletic and so competitive, um, which is like inspirational. It's really cool. Um, it makes sense. We have amazing accessibility um, to some beautiful places um, and also is pretty isolating, um, especially for people who it's not our culture to be competing on land and to compete, be competing with land. Um, and I think that's something that I've always kind of struggled with and never really could put um, words to uh, for a very long time. And, you know, all my friends, they're on Strava, they're posting their QOMs, their KOMs, 
Um, and I'm proud of them. I'm super happy for them. It's awesome. And I just also don't care. Like there's never been a part of me that's like, yeah, I got to go beat that. Like I'm just not about it. And um, I recently realized that I think a big part of it is just like it in my native culture, like we don't, that's not why we're on the land. And like, it's for me being on the land and running and mountain biking and skiing and doing these action sports. It's so fun. And it's so fun because I'm outside and I'm with the land and I'm creating connections with the land. I'm creating connections with the people that I'm with on the land, hopefully, unless they're too into their Stravas. Um, And so I think that having like, that was like a big moment for me of like realizing like, okay, I don't have to be competing with my friends because I don't want to in the first place. I don't have to bag peaks. You guys can't see, but I'm holding up my finger quotes, bag peaks. Um, because that just feels really colonizer to me. Um, it's never been about getting to the top for me. It's always been about um, the journey and just soaking it in. Um, and I just think that a huge part of what made, made it feel so isolating is the language that people use like bagging peaks. Um, and so I think that, you know, is a step is like having these conversations with people, like with my friends and with people in Bend and being like, you can be competitive, um, but also like cons- consider this, like here's another perspective. And also Bend is a playground, another finger quotes that drives me nuts. Like when people refer to this land as a playground, that to me symbolizes that this is something that we can just like take over and we can just like use up and it's, it's like commodity, commodify, commodifiable, commod, commod, what's the word? Commod, commodable, <laughs> commodifiable. Commodifiable. You had it. You had it. Commodifiable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's like commodifiable and it does feel like that living in this like resort town. Um, and it like pains me when people refer to like nature, like Bend is our playground. Uh, nature is our playground um, because it's so much more than that. And I just want people to see that. And so for me, I think a big part of it um, that isolates us is language and just like making it not about conquering the land. It's not about bagging peaks. It's not about the playground. It's about like the connections that we're making, um, what we're learning from the land, um, how we can give back to the land. Um, I love that. Yeah, I agree. There's no one I've met more that does it for the gram than the people in this fucking town. Like it's ridiculous. I am done. (laughs) I, I, um, as a photographer, I barely take photos of like when I'm outside and doing stuff because that time is for me. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story. I was working, I was working <laughs> at my uh, part-time job where I sell stretchy pants. You can guess where that is. And this, my dad's friend, guiding friend, whatever came in and he was just like, oh, like chatting to me. He's like, do you still climb? And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, well, that makes sense. You're big boned. (laughs) And I was just like, sir, please. (laughs) And then that really, but that's, that's definitely like what turns me off from snow sports is because I just see a lot in like social media and mainstream media of like 
skinny people climbing or like I'm not good enough and growing up here I never thought I was good enough to ski because it was just kind of like all the mean kids that skied and I was really intimidated to join a freestyle skiing club and now that I'm older I'm teaching freestyle skiing and I never thought I would be able to do that because I never saw myself with these groups of people and that goes with indigenous sports too I I think that with spirit of the peaks a friend who's working on a film was like oh it's already been done we can't do this indigenous ski movie anymore i'm like does a cis white guy say look at a another cis white guy do a backflip and was like i can't do it it's been done no they keep doing it the content keeps filtering out we just need more indigenous representation in the ski industry and mainstream media with film festivals and yeah and of course like this cohort has been talking about doing something like that or like getting together and like that'd be great and it's kind of funny with the scholarship I thought I was just getting some gear and some money but I'm getting like a rag group of friends to ski with I remember like I was really into cross-country skiing um you know it's a it's a it's a little bit cheaper right and I remember um that was my main sport and I remember like I had posters in my room of skiers and I was like I'm gonna I was going to go to college and ski like I met the people and I just remember looking around and being like, okay, almost everyone's white. Um, everyone's like 110 pounds. And I remember watching the Olympics and be like, I'm a 135. And I'm also my mom was the first Latina teacher. And Ben, I was like, I'm, I'm like, not not super small um, at that time. And I was like, maybe I can't do this. And I think that and then the money I get there and they're like, you need rock skis, you need regular, that was in the East Coast, right? You need rock skis, you need regular skis, you need roller skis. I was like, well, when the snow's gone, I hike. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I just move on. Like, and I think um, that was a really hard moment, I think, to realize that your sport doesn't want you and doesn't have a place for you. And I think, um, and I, I skied and I think like what Geneva said is there's so much to unpack about privilege. And I think one thing that I've been working with um, an organization called Open Slopes and they do ski nights in, in the Portland Mount Hood area. And I got to teach one of my students from eight years ago, one of my BIPOC students, um, how to ski. Like they're a college one D1 basketball player, but had never been on skis and hadn't been to Mount Hood in 15 years. And they grew up here. Um, sorry, White East. And I think um, there was so much power in that night. And then even yesterday I went up and I was so scared of driving in the snow sometimes because I'm like, oh, it's stressful. Um, but these two women that had done the open slopes, these two, sorry, these two humans had done open slopes really wanted to go up. And I realized there was so much privilege of me knowing my whole life how to drive in snow. And I was like, uh, that even just that barrier of like, how do I even drive in snow? And I had a vehicle that could get me there and could get them there. And I think I was up, I remember being up at the mountain and I, I was like, as a powder day, I could be in the back country or could be doing stuff. And I was like, this is so much more powerful. And there's so much community because, the barrier is not just gear, right? The barrier is not just clothes. Um, the bar- There's so many things that get in the way. And I think re-looking at sports and re-looking, I think a lot of the Spirit of the Peaks video, like I stop and touch the snow and remembering it's going to be water, it like just changes your whole outlook. And I think unpacking so much of what I learned and what's now called Bend to now is so, so powerful. And so I think um, that's what the scholarship did for me and helped connect that I didn't feel alone in that feeling. And then how do I build on that feeling and how do I support other people? Because um, I launched a scholarship with a friend a week ago. Now you guys are scaring me because there's already people applying. I was like, oh my God, how are we going to choose? But like building off what I learned from you guys 
and now to do in the Nordic community, because part of why I wanted to get in backcountry skiing is I go and I don't see anyone of color Nordics cross-country skiing, but I see backcountry and I see in the downhill sports. So I was like, how can I bring that to the next community? How do we move on from there? So um, Ellen, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, I just want to jump in. This is Jen. I want to say something. Catherine, you brought something up that I think is really important that we need to discuss. The ski industry is an industry. The industry exists to make money and it is fueled by capitalism. And so the whole point, like, let's not confuse ourselves. Like, sure, there's certainly um, individuals who want true connection with the land and true connection with one another, but the industry wants to make a shit ton of fucking money. And they historically have thought that the only people they can make money off of are cis white men, cis straight white, white, white men. The rest of us have just been, you know, those things on the side that make like they've never thought about anyone else. And that speaks volumes to the amount of, of whether it's like over racism and, and sexism and ableism or whether it's bias. But part of the reason why there hasn't been a more robust and diverse representation in skiing is because people are a hundred percent just trying to fucking sell shit and they think they know who to sell things to. And that for me, like part of the power of, of this group, both like through the scholarship, but also what you all are doing as individuals is to kind of show them actually, fuck you. I got mine and I'm fucking here and we're going to do this. Right. Like to, to, to ignore all of us and all of you because you don't fit into essentially, you know, they don't think you're going to bankroll this industry, but that for me, like I have a big passion around changing that, but like this, well, number one, we should append capitalism, right? But also, like, number two, don't always look to them to think that they're the only ones who are going to drive the in industry. Look at alternative forms of capital. It's not just financial capital that, that runs this world. And we have a lot of power, whether it's social capital or environmental capital or human cap capital, where we can actually step in and change all of that. Totally. And Jen, you kind of was a good transition to what I wanted to say. I feel like we could all probably write books on why we either feel we belong or do not belong in either this world, in the outdoor industry, in the careers we exist in, or whatever it is. But inherently, Indigenous people are taught that we don't belong in any of these places, even when we're on our own traditional homelands or we're just on lands that, that our people have been on forever. Um but there are a couple comments that were made from other people that I really resonated with. One, when it comes to gear, I was on the same pair of skis for eight straight seasons, core shot the shit out of them, um, got to a point where I had the tuned them so many times that the tech was like, this is it, you're done, these skis are dead. And the only reason right now I have new two pairs of skis this season, a new pant and coat, new goggles and helmet and gloves is because I just met the right people. I don't have the money. I would have never bought a single bit of the gear that I have this season for myself. I would have skied on those skis however many more seasons I could until I could either afford or find a good consigned pair of skis. Like skiing, I cannot afford. I also hate participating in capitalism. So I attempt in whatever ways I can to avoid the system. And I've just gotten lucky that I made a relationship with the co-founder of a brand who made the skis that I fell in love with. And then I met Denali and then I met Michaela and I met Cal and I got brought, I literally just got brought into this industry and was like, here you go. And the industry didn't have really another indigenous female skier. And 
I also happen to be an Arctic climate scientist. And so people were like, wow, you fall into all these intersecting categories. Like we want to talk to you. But also none of these people want, want anything else other than to just talk to me. And so one, there's a whole thing on belonging there. I could write a book on that, but I hate writing. The other element of belonging that I really struggle with in this industry is the fact that my traditional homelands are in a place that a lot of people like to ski. I come from a place where heli skiing is a huge industry, where people just move there and ski on lands that I've heard stories from different people in my tribe say places you're never supposed to ski. Um, And as I was just spontaneously brought into this industry after never thinking there was ever a space for me in actual ski industry. I met all these people who have spent a ton of time on my traditional homeland skiing. And I, anytime I say I'm clinking, I'm from Southeast Alaska. Everyone's like, Oh, I've skied that line. I know this heli operator, like everyone else in the world has not everyone else in the world, everyone else in the ski industry has a connection to Southeast Alaska and skiing on my homelands before I did. And that was like crushing to my soul. And in these moments when people thought they were being kind and helpful, when I finally said, I'm working on this project, I'm actually going to go ski my homelands for the first time. And I'm going to, I'm going to face some of these traumas head on and, and, and do this thing. And there's a lot more to be said on that because this project will happen and is it happening. But but in these moments when people thought they were being nice and saying like, oh, I know the best heli operators. I can connect you with these people. People in the industry didn't realize how harmful that was and how much that actually made me feel like I didn't belong. And that because I grew up in skiing and, and can ski, but had never had access to ski on my own homelands because of colonization that they thought that they could just bring me in with all of their little local connections. And that would be what a clinky girl who's never skied on her homelands needed. And that was just like the ultimate fuck you in my face from people who thought they were being nice and kind. And I came into those situations and had these things happen and had really strong trauma responses of like, wanting to look really nice people in their faces and say fuck off why have you spent time on my homelands why have you skied on my homelands why have you done these things in a way that doesn't feel good why have you gone heli skiing and gone to the top of this mountain and made absolutely no relationship to the relatives that exist in that place why have you never met the trees why have you never met the moss why have you never met the people why don't you know the traditional names of these places why do you come in you get dropped off on the mountain you ski down this crazy line and then you leave and you extract with you videos of this pristine and beautiful last frontier that is alaska and you give nothing back to the place and i had to navigate these places and these situations that i was in with people who are good people but didn't fundamentally understand how their actions and existing in this industry harmed me and how hearing that made me want to say, I never want to be sponsored by a company. Like I'd rather have friendships with company where I get free gear. Cause one, I can't afford it. And two, I don't know if I want to be sponsored by companies that have sent people to do these incredibly harmful things on my traditional homelands and have given nothing back to the people or to me. And 
that all just, oh, from being, being a kid in this industry and feeling like I already didn't belong because I never saw another Indigenous person other than my dad and my, and my brother until meeting these people to then have that happen in a way that just brought up all this intergenerational trauma. Like, I still don't really feel like there's a place for me in skiing. And I have existential crises on it every other day where I have my own job. I'm an Arctic climate scientist. Like, I could just do that. But I also am incredibly passionate about skiing. And I know that if I only did one or the other, I wouldn't be fully living out my full identity. But I'm having to face these traumas daily. And I think I'm definitely not someone to toot my own horn, but like, I think it was probably one of the bravest things I could do to actually follow through on this project of skiing my homelands and having it be something that there is video of. And we haven't quite decided what to do with that video yet, but might be a film. And to share that emotional experience was so brave of me and yet so harmful still to like be exploited in that way of like some of my most deepest emotions being shown to the world. And knowing that when I say these really strong things about how I feel about Alaska and skiing in Alaska, the entire industry or most of the entire industry feels the exact opposite. And that means that that I that nobody or most people don't want to listen to me. And even though I know my voice is, is strong and what I feel about this is strong and important and, and other people feel the same way I do that. Even though I'm still saying it, the industry is not just going to change. And that just, again, makes me feel like I don't belong. And the one of the only things that keeps me going is knowing that there are people like Hannah and knowing there are people like Denali who are also Alaska Native and, and doing, doing all of that they can in their own ways and in their own places to fight this. Because Indigenous people are not a monolith, but... I will say Alaska Natives have a special bond that's a little bit different than Indigenous people of the lower 48. And so Hannah and Denali and all other Alaska Natives skiing, um, that's kind of like what makes me feel like I belong. I wish that I could hug you through this little box on a screen. This really two-dimensional. Um, Ellen, I think that, you know, I... I hear everything you're saying and I mean, I hear it. I hear it so deeply and I, I actually, I'm just thinking like, I'm just thinking of so many different ways that we all can come together to change that. Cause the industry is going, it's, it's going to change. Damn it. <laughs> it's going to, it, it doesn't have, I mean, you think of, God damn, I was listening to some podcast the other day when I was like, working on my truck. I'm underneath a stupid fuel consuming piece of shit car. And I was listening to this podcast and it was talking, it was from the Japan times and it was talking about how Japan's industry, ski industry was tanking because of COVID and all these things. And all I could think of was just had these words ring in my ear, like how the mighty have fallen you know, like it's, it's, this industry is huge. And what you were saying, Jen, like, you know, they want you, they want all of us to eat this cookie that they made, that they made. And you can only eat this cookie because this is what a cookie is. 
I'm sorry, this is not how it is. Actually, I was speaking to uh, a friend of a friend who's an who's an elder here in Interior Alaska. Levy's Gwich'in, and um, he has been in the tourism industry in Alaska since the 60s. Oh, I just did air quotes. Sorry, tourism industry um, since the 60s. And he's working with Alaska Pacific University to revamp the idea of a business plan. And the business plan at large um, is based off a plantation colonialism colonialist extractive model, which is everything that Jen, you were talking about. And we've been talking about how to essentially on a larger scale, indigenize business thought, which is it's gift it's gift economy. It's things like this. It's, 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 it's a complete shift. And anyway, there's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But what I guess I'm trying to say is, and I'll like bring all these back. Cause I'm a huge, big picture person I'm trying to focus in a short period of time, but he gave me these two kind of words, these two phrases to build a framework on, in my mind, of how to change from going from an extractive economy to, to not just like, get on the heli, let's do this, and exploitive practices on native lands. And the two phrases were this. It was high-frequency existence and low-frequency existence. High frequency existence is glitzy, um, you know, high, high gloss, high contrast images flashing, no connection to anything. Drone footage, just drone footage, like, you know, dubstep. I don't know what the kids are listening to right now, but something (laughs) really cool. And then there's the low frequency um, advertising advertising as another air quotes, which is the human experience. It's connection. It doesn't matter actually if where you come from being, having a genuine experience and having connection to things is what actually everybody wants. It's just that the industry is telling us to circumnavigate that and to not have respect of where we are and not listen to the stories of our elders or the people who have lived here for a long time or any of that. And just a really quick little story. I grew up cross country ski racing. I don't know if any of you have heard of Keegan Randall. Um, she was on the U S ski team. Her and Jesse Diggins are the two medal winning people in uh, cross country ski racing. And I used to, I grew up ski racing with her and in my experience with the Nordic ski community, it was actually very, um, it was actually very supportive, uh, which is really kind of unique, but even though it was very supportive and people were, um, you know, really, really supportive with very little money because it was the nineties, um, of my experience, I still, I quit because of the commercialism and, um, it's, it's, it's just gross. So I think that I guess in saying all this and I took a bunch of little notes and now I'm not following them at all, but in saying this, I I know that there is room for changing the industry because you belong. If, if anybody you belong in this, 
in this world. And, you know, what uh, Catherine said earlier, I believe it was Catherine, I'm sorry, I can't remember who, but, um, you know, the barriers aren't just equipment. It is the industry. And I think we can uh, come to terms with that by modeling a completely different low frequency connected experience. And that can, that's, I hate to use the word sell, but I think that in order to change all this, we're, we're trying to, you know, it's important to sell those lower frequency experiences, learning the names, the indigenous names of the mountains, learning the indigenous names of the oceans that you're, you know, flying over to get to it, being conscious about how much fuel you're burning to get to those places. I mean, helicopters, don't even get me started. I went to airplane mechanic school and like I learned about fuel consumption was just like, what? <laughs> so anyway, that's my rant about high frequency versus low frequency and hundred percent you, you are, this is your world and you can, yeah, this is your world. And there are a lot of us out here who are trying to, lift that up I feel like you just said every perfect thing to end a podcast like you just really <laughs> set us in this like yeah but I want to um say something to kind of close us out here this has been for me personally um probably one of the best podcasts I've ever been a part of and that's because of all of you and everything that you had to say and I want to thank you um for being incredibly vulnerable and honest and um, speaking your truth and um, also for your emotional labor and what I would say like educating um, probably a lot of people in the Juicy Bits audience who are going to learn so much from everything that you have to say. So I just am deeply grateful to all of you and want to give each of you just a few minutes um, before we say goodbye to each other to, to close us out with anything that you uh, really feel like you want to you want to share with us. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to me. And always listen to your gut and the mountains because they're dangerous and backcountry skiing is dangerous. And you can get all the education you need. But in the end, it's always your gut feeling and how the land feels about you as well. Thank you, Nahani. I guess I'll, I'll read a quote that I put in my application because I don't feel like I can... I think, Ellen, what you said is so powerful. So I think another person I look up to, um, kind of like I look up to you, is Robin Wall Kilmer, Kimmer, who's also a citizen of Palomini, and she wrote in her book, uh, Bringing Sweetgrass, on page three. Um, in winter, when the green earth lies resting beneath a blanket of snow, this is the time for storytelling. The storytellers begin by calling upon those who came before, who passed the stories down to us, for we are only messengers. And I guess... My takeaway from that quote is that's my role and everyone's role as a backcountry skier, as anyone in the environment is like, you know, being a storyteller and listening to the stories and who was there before. Cause we're really only again, like, like she said, the messengers. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine, that was part of your application. That was my favorite. Um, anyone who can quote Robin Wilkimer has my heart. Robin Wilkimer is who gives me strength in in my science work. 
um, in my field work and in my backcountry skiing. And that, yeah, that, that was like part of the reason when I saw yours, I was like, um, this, this person you have to, you have to win right now. <laughs> um, but I will end off and say to this entire group. Um, this group gives me a lot of strength. And as I said previously, I've been having a lot of existential crises about what my role is in this world, where I belong, and how I fill all of these hats that I hold. Um, and I think I will continue having those crises because we are all existing in, especially for Indigenous people, this post-apocalyptic world. Um, and if that's your first time ever hearing that, that Indigenous people feel that way, maybe you should do some education. Um, and we're also all existing in these false um, times of this occupation that is either the United States of America or Canada, or as a lot of people like to say, you throw three Ks in either of those names and it's, it's the same country. Um, and this this group of people who are who are using our skills and our strengths in whatever ways we can and in, in, in whatever industries and whatever jobs outside of skiing we have in skiing, um, that's, that's what's gonna change the world. And everyone that applied for the scholarship is included in that as well. And I'm just so excited to see where all of us go and how this connection that we've built and continue to build throughout the years, what that can do for for both the ski and I say ski industry in quotes because fuck all industries, um, but what it can do to just like transform our world and to address all of the issues that we've talked about today. And I think that it is especially Indigenous, non-binary, Indigenous women, um, Indigenous two-spirit people who are going to leave that charge. And that's not to leave out Indigenous men because we love our Indigenous men too, but we don't listen to women enough. So thank you, Gunesh Chish, Jen, for having us today. Thank you, Ellen. Hannah, do you want to, do you want to say something? Oh, last time I said send it in a good way. Uh, but I'll just try to just really quick again. Thanks everybody for, yeah, just like letting, you know, making this happen and letting, thank you, Jen, for facilitating this. And I just feel super, super grateful for being a part of this with you all. Um, I would just say as parting thoughts, like it's never too late for anyone, no matter your background to indigenize your thoughts in the back country um, staying more at a low frequency, having respect for where you are and having conversations with other people as allies about land back. And if you don't know what that means, because a lot of people don't, uh, Google it, ask somebody who's involved. Um, I'm sure any of you, I'm sure you could ask, uh, any of us to clarify that for you on the Instagram or wherever. Um, it's just about relearning. We're learning. We're all learning through this, as Ellen said, uh, post-apocalyptic post world. Um, and it's going to be post-apocalyptic for everybody as everything gets warmer. So, you know, read about it. Ask questions. Um, we can all join in this fight together. And, yeah, stay safe. Listen to your gut. And thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Um, so we're having a bit of technical difficulty with Geneva. So actually, Catherine, would you be 
open to reading what Geneva just put in the chat um, as her closing statement. Uh, yeah, Geneva wrote, Miigwech to this group, Miigwech to those listening and making space and opening their minds. My message, indigenous joy on ancestral lands is radical. There we go. And that's how we're ending this episode of Juicy Bits. But when you're done listening, there are things that you should do. So like Hannah said, go research land back, research decolonization, click in the show notes or go to coalitionsnow.com and search for indigenous backcountry scholarship and put some money there. Particularly if you're somebody who align, if, if your values align with anything that was spoken about tonight, that is a very good place to put some dollars. We are, um, all the funds will go to the second cohort. Um, and thank you again to everybody who was here tonight on this call. Thank you to all of you, our listeners. Um, and thank you to everybody who is going to uh, support this initiative. And we will see you, hear you, chat with you next time on Juicy Bits. <laughs> <laughs>